Greetings and welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers, and I have with me Dave Kranzler of Investment Research Dynamics for today's episode. And Dave is the editor, if you didn't already know, of the Mining Stock Journal, and he's also the co-producer with Trevor Hall of Mining Stock Daily Podcast. I asked Dave to come on to share with us uh, some of his recent mining stock picks. Uh, the, some of the feedback I've gotten from my past interviews with Dave is that listeners enjoy uh, Dave presenting some of his picks and talking through why he likes uh, the particular companies that he profiles for his subscribers to the Mining Stock Journal. So Dave, welcome back to the show. And uh, how about we kick it off with an exploration stock? What can you share with us here? Uh, how you doing, Bill? Thanks for having me on again. Well, uh, probably my best insight is buy low and sell high. <laughs> Applicable <laughs> to more than the mining sector, right? <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I just wanted to say first off that obviously the, the mining shares are, are in, a, in a kind of a downtrend right now. It's gold and the mining shares had a tremendous run up over the summer. And I'm, I'm operating on the assumption that this is you know, aside from the manipulation um, issues involved, that this is going to be a, a healthy corrective pullback in the sector. And I think now's a good time to be putting together a, kind of a wish list of, of your favorite stocks. And I probably would maybe even start dipping my toe in the water now if you have cash to invest or, or start doubling down if you've if you uh, are underwater on some of the, the names that you might have bought over the summer. So, um, but, it, you know, when you run up as quickly as we did between the end of May and, say, mid-August, late August, it's, it's going to be natural that there's going to be a lot of profit taking, especially to the extent that hedge funds get involved in chasing momentum higher. So, at any rate, um, I thought... I'd share a couple of the names that I've covered for a while in my mining stock journal. One of them is, it's called Precipitate Gold. And the symbol's PRG, if you if you can trade on the Toronto Venture, or PREIF in the, in the over-the-counter market. And uh, Precipitate has, it's got a small portfolio of projects, but it's, the one of interest to me is in the Dominican Republic. Now they, they have another property in the Dominican Republic that's in an area where there's the, the local political jurisdictions are have have somewhat restricted the mining activities or exploration activities of a company called GoldQuest, which has a it's like two or three million ounce gold mine that's just north of Precipitate's property. Um, and, and they've put that project on the back burner and it's, it's an, it's had, they've had very encouraging drill results. They put it on the back burner until they waited to see how the political situation clears up. And, it, you know, it, it was kind of a shock because the Dominican Republic generally is, is as a sovereignty is very pro mining. I mean, it, it hosts one of the largest and most profitable gold mines in the world, the, the Pueblo Viejo mine, which is which is uh, a Barrick Gold Corp, so Barrick now Newmont joint venture. And that thing, I think it's got at least 20 million ounces of, of reserve resource in it right now. So Precipitate uh, purchased a, 
a piece of land that sits adjacent in the DR to the Pueblo Viejo mine. And I, I spoke with the CEO pretty extensively about how they managed to get a hold of this property. And it's it's kind of a convoluted story and it's kind of a small property. So I was like, well, why wouldn't why wouldn't Barrick just buy that? And you know, and, and just in case there's something there, because it would make sense for them in terms of the synergies if they're even if it's only got a million ounces of gold on it. And he I can't remember what the ex explanation was, but it, it kind of satisfied me. I, I think there was the, the people who had the rights to the land were pissed off at Barrick or something like that. I mean, you see that a lot. You run across that type of dynamic in Nevada also. Um, but at any rate, so they've got this piece of land and they they think they, you know, and they've they've done a lot of prep work on it. They think there's a possibility that that the mineralization system that has that has created the Pueblo Viejo gold deposit may also exist beneath the land that's that on the property that they bought. So um, they just got permit uh, permits to to put in some drill holes. Because they need to now, they need to start drilling it. That the you know all of the um, early pre-drilling exploration work has has um, encouraged them. They've identified some targets, and they're out right now raising some money to fund a to fund a drill program. And um, the the stock is, I mean, it's in U.S. dollar terms, it's it's uh, it's an eleven cent stock. And I think it's been down as low as six or seven cents in the last year. And I mean, you know, so you're looking at something that has about a essentially a 10 million, 11 million dollar market cap. And if they if they uh, make some sort of discovery on this piece of property, I think this, you know, I think the stock could easily triple or quadruple in a short period of time. Um, and I mean, the way I look at it is, is, is let's just say there's, they even find half a million to a million mineable ounces on there. I mean, you know, it, it means that the, the, I would think that Barrick would be willing to pay somewhere between 50 and a hundred million for something like that, depending on where the price of gold is and, and depending on, you know, how amenable the, the, uh, metallurgy is of the ore. But I, I, th I would have to assume that it it shares a similar DNA as as the ore and the metallurgy of the Pueblo Viejo mine. So um, it's it's a high risk, high return play. I mean, I I wouldn't use any more money than you're willing to see. Like if you buy it at eleven cents and they drill out this this property and it's nothing but dusters, you know, the stock's probably going to go back down to five or six cents pretty quickly. So it's not going to go to zero because they've got some other, you know, they have that other project, the Juan de Herrera project in um, Herrera project in the Dominican Republic that could activate at some point. And then they've got, I think it's, I think they've got a gold property in British Columbia. So, so there is, there is residual asset value there. If, if this, if this, um, they call it Pueblo Grande if the Pueblo Grande project doesn't pan out. So for me, the way I look at it is, okay, if I buy the stock at 10 or 11 cents, I've got, you know, five or six cents of downside and I've got 50 or 60 cents of upside, right? So, you know, you're looking at, 
you know, an eight to one or 10 to one payoff risk reward ratio there. And so, you know, I think it makes sense to to put a few dollars into it and see what happens. I find it interesting how people discovered these investing opportunities. How did you come across Precipitate? Was it a recommendation or uh, what was the genesis? A colleague of mine was familiar with it. I, I, I've been following it for, I don't know, probably two or three years. And then you just now took a position in your fund as well? Oh, no. We've had a position in my fund for a long time. I mean, I, you know, our cost basis in it is probably eight or nine cents. So, um, and it's, you know, it's an underweighted position and it, you know, when they start rolling out drill results, once they get the drilling going, um, and if the drill results look encouraging, we'll, we'll add to it. I don't, I don't care if I have to pay more, you know, like 15 cents or 18 cents to buy more shares. It just, it, as long as, you know, if, if they have encouraging drill results to me, it, it, removes a little bit of the risk. I mean, it's still going to be a high risk situation until they can, you know, go through a couple different iterations of drill programs. But, um, you know, I've left plenty of room to add to the position. And if if it doesn't work out, you know, it's it's I I won't I haven't put enough into it so that I'll be bummed out if I have to write it off. And um, you shared with me another stock that you've um been profiling as Ely Gold Royalties. I've met with the management of this team over the last two years at numerous conference to get updated. So this is a stock that I've followed at a distance. What's your thoughts on Ely Gold Royalties? Yeah. So uh, someone I know in the business was bugging me for about a year to look at it. And because I had looked at it on a cursory basis maybe a year ago. And I, I generally do not recommend or not necessarily recommend, but invest in royalty companies um, just because I, I like the high risk, high reward nature of the juniors. Or if, if there's a, a, a producing company where the stock gets hit and I think the stock sold off unrealistically, um, you know, I, I, and, and it's to me, it's it's a you know, if I look like I you can get a low risk 20 or 30 percent bounce in the stock because it's oversold. That's the type of opportunities I generally look for. Um, I, you know, I did, I did buy and recommend Sandstorm back when it bought Mariana, the, the Turkish uh, gold copper project, in and because uh, Sandstorm, I think it was all stock, might have been a little bit of cash, but the stock just got annihilated in it, and so I put it in my mining stock journal at at three dollars and twenty cents, and put it in my fund at the same price. And and um, you know, I I sold it after it had about a forty or fifty percent bounce. And obviously, looking back, I kind of wish I held on to it a little bit longer. But so that's generally I, I, the point. There is I, I generally don't invest in royalties unless I think there's a, a really good opportunity there. And um, so I finally listened to the Eli story. In, in at the beginning of October, and I was like, "This this stock, this guy's got some incredible royalty properties, and he's got a huge portfolio of of potential uh, properties that can be optioned off, and in which they retain the, you know a royalty interest on it, or 
um, just sell it outright. And I, I just when I look at it, I think it's undervalued relative to what it has and, and what and what's coming online. And it's it's run up. Um, I believe Sprott did a financing several months ago and I think like Mayish it was at 16 cents Canadian and now it's uh, up it's been over 40 cents. So even after the run up you still find good valuation here. Well, you're you're probably looking at the Canadian dollar price. I Correct. I, mean, I, yeah. I I transact in in the US and not on the TSX. So I generally look at the the dollar price, the US dollar price. And uh yeah, I mean I <laughs> the guy who told me about it, I was like Geez, I wish I took a look at this when it was at 14 cents, and it's it's at 26, 27 cents US, and that's about where we bought into it. And um, I mean, when when I look at it, I think there's some, you know, maybe the market is somewhat valuing fairly the royalty properties that are that are it's getting paid royalties on right now, but but some of these properties. Um, like they've got a royalty on a Wallbridge mining that the Fenelon mine and that royalty is going to, it sounds like it's going to go into commercial operation in late 2020 or early 2021. And it, it's, I think that mine's going to be a cash cow. But what's interesting about it is, is that Eli's royalty footprint extends over the property area where Walbridge is currently exploring and which will likely add considerably to the size of the resource. And Trey Wasser, the CEO, told me that he thinks he had heard that that's why Eric Sprott was interested in investing in Eli was for exposure to that particular area. So, so there's, you know, again, it's, you don't want to say anything's a sure thing, but to me, there's there's good probability of a, of a big upside bump to the value of of Eli's royalty in that particular property. If I could just interject, though, the one thing I love about the royalty model is what you just articulated is that you get what the royalty companies call free upside without the downside or dilution that comes with your standard 100% pure explorer. And I believe it was Pierre Lassonde who that's how he was able to grow Franco Nevada. It was through purchasing a royalty and then through the subsequent exploration success on which he had a royalty, it just became a cash cow for him. And that's how he was able to grow Franco Nevada into a multi billion dollar royalty company. Correct. And he, he did it early in the game. So he was able to buy a lot of lot of assets very cheaply relative to where he would have been able to purchase those assets now. Yeah. There's a lot more money chasing those types of situations. And that that's kind of what I like about Eli. I mean, because they're kind of small and, and they're not competing for the, the marquee properties or marquee potential projects. <clears throat> and they're looking for really good value investments in, in kind of smaller off the beaten path properties. So uh, as an example, another asset that that caught my eye in their project portfolio or, or asset portfolio is they have um, they have a royalty on land that is next to uh, Core, Core's Rochester 
mining complex down in Nevada. And that's 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 Coors most profitable mine is is the Rochester complex. And the reason why I know about this particular property area is because <clears throat> Rye Patch Gold used to own it when Rye Patch was around. And then they got into a big dispute with Core over the situation. And ultimately, it led to Core buying out uh, Rye Patch specifically for this this property. And it's it's um, the area is, is the Lincoln Hill area. And I know that Rye Patch felt like there was a lot of silver beneath the ground on this property. And so that's that's the area where Eli has this NSR. It's a 1% NSR. And it sounds like Core is probably going to, to start producing ore from this area in late 2021 or, or 2022. And Eli paid four hundred fifty thousand for this royalty, and you know, assuming you know once and assuming it it starts producing ore, I mean that royalty is going to be worth several multiples what they paid for it, especially especially if the price of gold and silver does what we think it's going to do. So this is a multi-year hold for your fund. Then is that how you're looking at this investment? I, I mean, when I look at it and I I, I kind of compare it to Abitibi royalties or uh, Metalla. And I, I think it's, I think it's a much better risk return op- opportunity relative to the, those two names. I know Metalla's, you know, I've had several subscribers ask me about Metalla, which tells me someone's out there promoting it, or several people are out there promoting it. And I took a quick look at it. I, I didn't really take a long enough look at it to see, you know, whether I thought it was a really good idea or not. But I took a look at it long enough to decide that Eli was cheap relative to Metalla. So. Um, yeah, I mean, Eli is, is something that, um, you know, a lot of the really, I mean, it, it already has two, <laughs> two producing properties, so it's got cash flow coming in. And over the next two or three years is, is when a lot of action could really start happening in its portfolio. And so, um, you know, I'm going to hold it for at least a double or a triple. And, that, you know, whether that takes six months, a year, 18 months, whatever. That's that's what I see coming down the pike for Eli. And again, it's it's, you know, relative to the to the high risk of something like precipitate. To me, it's it's a relatively low risk. You know, the downside is, is if we're wrong about the price of gold and silver and and, and gold and silver go back to where they were, you know, a year ago or um you know, and to me, that's the downside risk on it. And the, the upside risk is is at least two to three times the downside risk on it. And the last stock uh, we'll profile today, this is a, a producer with development and exploration projects, but it's sold off recently, hasn't it? Yes. It's um, Fortuna Silver, which I was, I was somewhat familiar with it. Again, I don't really focus on the large caps. You know, I have the ones that I watch to see if they get beat up and, and, I'll, and I'll buy them for a short term trade. But um, I mean, this stock was over five bucks a year and less than a year and a half ago. And there, there was a couple, you know, stocks now it's, it's just under three bucks. And there were a couple catalysts that led to the sell off. Part of it was just the general decline in gold and silver that occurred between a year, year and a half ago through May of this year, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then, and then they also, when they released their second quarter earnings, they got hammered and they got hammered because the, the, the operating income, I think was, again, this is off the top of my head, but I think operating income was sliced in half. And, and part of that was, was because the price of silver was so much lower relative to the second quarter of 2018. But also, um, one of their two producing properties is, is it, it's silver, lead, and zinc. And lead and zinc have gotten hammered over the last year. So um, th those, th those factors are, are why they had horrible comps versus 2018 for their second quarter. Now, fast forward to the third quarter, and they're going to have great comps versus the third quarter last year. And I, I don't think the market is taking that into account right now. Obviously, the price of silver was is was substantially higher than the price of silver was in the third quarter of 2018. Lead and zinc are, again, off the top of my head, I think they're about the same. But, um, you know, I think they've taken the brunt of their we're going into a global recession hit. Um, and, and uh, to be honest, I'd rather be exposed to lead and zinc, especially zinc, than I would copper assets right now. So the, and then, so that was one factor that hit the stock. A second factor was, so they've got a property down in Argentina. It's the, the Lindero project, and it's going to be an extraordinarily high margin gold mine that is targeted to commence operations in the first quarter of 2020. So we're, you know, five or six, four or five months away from that thing starting to pour gold. And it's going to do about, on average, about 100,000 100, ounces of gold a year over a 13-year mine life with an all-in all sustaining cost of 750 bucks an ounce. And part of that is because it has a very, very low strip ratio. So it's, it's cheaper to process than a, lot of, than a lot of gold ore. And there's also tremendous... Uh, exploration upside on the property, but they issued a convertible security that represents, if it ever gets converted, about 5% of the equity. And the reason why they issued it was they needed the, the capital to get Lindero over the finish line. They needed it for, you know, the, the ongoing expenses of starting it up plus working capital needs. So, um, the, you know, the market, for some reason, you know, with the mining stocks, as you know, Bill, whenever a mining stock issues shares or does it convert, the stock gets hammered. Any other sector, especially technology stocks, you know, when they issue shares, it's, it's seen as a great thing, you know, and the stock goes up. So uh, this particular one, I mean, it was, it was the, the convert price is five bucks and the stock at the time was around $3.30 when they announced it. And so you would think the market would be happy that, in effect, they're selling shares at five bucks a share when the when the current market price is three dollars and thirty cents. But no, market sold it off. They didn't like the news. And then the third factor is this Lindero mine is in Argentina, which obviously is there's there's some political uncertainty surrounding the upcoming presidential election, and it it's it's pitted a populist with a socialist as his running mate, the former president of Argentina, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner. And, you know, the, the, the markets aren't happy about that because he's the front runner now. And uh, I, I've spoken to a 
couple different guys about mining mining stock executives about their thoughts on on how that whole thing's going to play out if if Alberto Fernandez wins the election. It sounds like, I mean, he's he's running on a populist platform, but it sounds like he's also pragmatic and he knows that in order for Argentina to get back on its feet economically, it has to promote economic policies that encourage foreign investment in the country. And I didn't even know about this till I spoke to someone about it yesterday. They have they're they're trying to develop shale shale oil, and they need a ton of capital for that. And if they were to impose you know capital controls and and uh, impose high taxes on businesses, they're, they're not going to get the capital they need to to get that to get their shale oil going. So it, both guys I spoke to sounded like you know it's it's sort of like well we got to wait and see, but. We're encouraged by what we've heard about this guy and and encouraged by the fact that we think he knows that he's got to be pragmatic when it comes to economic and business regulations. So at any rate, those were the three factors that drove the stock down. I mean, it went from between like March and and the beginning of July, it went from four dollars and 40 cents all the way down to 240 and it's it's bounced since then. And it's it's you know it's it's come off again as as the election approaches and and the convertible was sold and um, I think at this price point it's 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 a good value I think it's you know again they've got two producing properties they produce a lot of gold and silver it makes money and I, I think the market is underestimating how profitable you know assuming the political situation doesn't cloud the picture there. I think the market's underestimating how profitable this Lindero property is going to be. Dave, from a fundamental analysis perspective on this company, uh, sometimes sometimes in mining, as you know very well, it, things don't work out. We saw Tahoe's Escobar mine, you know, in Guatemala, still not back in production. So you could have this tremendous resource that could even be in production, and all of a sudden it could be stolen from the company or disallowed from to be continued, which is obviously going to affect the valuation of the company. If you just totally write off all of Fortuna's Argentinian assets, do you still think it would be a good buy at this price point? Probably not. I mean, I think it would get hit if something were to, to um, you know, cause the market to completely discount Lindero. I think it would. I think it would probably probably lose about another fifty to seventy-five cents from here. However. They do have two, you know, the two projects that they have, both properties have have big exploration upside and it's got other assets in its portfolio that it that it can develop. So, um, again, I don't normally invest in producers, but I invest in them when I think there's again, you're right, there's there's some risk here. But I think you're being you'll be compensated, you know, the, the potential bounce back on this stock will more than compensate you than the risk you're taking at this price level that Argentina turns out to be a bust, which I do not think it will. But, um, you know, and the flip side is here, if you buy the stock at $3, it could easily snap back to, to 450 or 5 especially when gold and silver resume their, their upward bull trend. And so, 
you know, for me, an opportunity to make that kind of return on a large cap producing stock is, is I can't pass that up. And so you just recently initiated a position then in your mining stock fund uh, in Fortuna? Yes. In fact, our our cost basis is is higher than where the stock is right now. And that was a recent profile, of course, in the mining stock in journal the mining as well. Stock journal. That's correct. Yep. And the mining stock journal, for those that don't know, if you want more information, go to Dave's website. It's investmentresearchdynamics.com. And I believe, is it still only $20 a month, Dave, to be a subscriber? $20 a month. And the only the only time commitment period is the first month. Right. So it's a, it's a $20 risk, which is what, four Starbucks coffees? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I bet you two thirds of, I started this up in March 2016, and I bet half of my subscribers were subscribers within the first six months. So I, it's, it, I thought I was going to have a much higher turnover rate. So, um, you know, I, I think it kind of speaks to, you know, what people think about my ideas. All right. Well, Dave, as always, I appreciate your insights. Thanks for sharing with my audience. And again, to check uh, Dave's website, go to investmentresearchdynamics.com. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you, Bill. Great chatting with you again. Thank you for listening to this Mining Stock Education Podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded investors. Visit us on the web at miningstockeducation.com for more resources on precious metals and natural resource investing. At our website, you can also sign up for our free newsletter for interview transcripts, stock picks, and more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.